2: Yeah.
3: Welcome to J.L, yeah. J. a production of iHeartRadio.
2: Yeah.
3: What's up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome uh,
4: to J.ill podcast. This is Jill Scott, and I'm here with my sister friends, Aja Graydon Danzla. That's myself. hmm Hello, everyone. Yeah. Hi. And the lovely hi. Laya St. Clair.
5: I felt all that stretch, Jill. I, felt, oh, I did. felt I felt it. I know it's the it's the episode. I listen,
3: let's mm. go. Yeah. Let's go. We've been let's waiting. We've yeah. been on, this has been the wait. The yes. Wait is over,
4: darling. Okay. I'm not gonna make you wait anymore. Yes. I, I was. I was about to say a whole story, but I'll tell you later. Well, uh, welcome everybody. Um <laughs> we have an incredible guest here today. Her name is Kika. Keith, I love your name very Kika. Huh. Kika. <laughs> Oh, it's got attitude. It's got Ooh. spunk. <laughs>
2: oh. And, oh, wait.
4: Yeah. Kika. Oh. <laughs> Kika, Keith, Please lie it if you'd be so kind as to share these accolades
5: of this lovely,
4: lovely young woman.
5: I just first have to share a story because I understand that I live in Los Angeles, right? It is not a majority black place. And when I lived in Hollywood, the one reason that I was scared to leave was because I had a black dispensary, a black owned dispensary. This is not something you hear a lot, period, better yet in Los Angeles. So when I moved to Leimert Park and I cold walked down the street because I passed by a dispensary that had a big gorilla on the top of it with a lot of colors, I was like, well, all right. Let me just stop and see what they got." I walked in, it was the most beautiful, thing I'd ever seen. And I'm talking about the colors. Never. I've been in a lot of dispensaries. Yes, I'm telling my truth. I've been in a lot of dispensaries. But the color, the the friendship, the feeling of culture. I'm talking about a dispensary, y'all. When I walked in, it changed my life so much that every time I have somebody that comes out of town, I'm like, let's walk up the street and let's go. Well, it just so happens on one particular day, I bring my godmother, Deanna Williams, who's been a guest on this show. I said, let's go to the dispensary. I'm about to blow your mind. We walk in and we see a familiar face named Marco Barrio, who happened to be the manager of the other black dispensary that I had moved from in Hollywood. And he goes on to tell me the story of the owner of this place and the story of the struggle of how this place came into fruition in this neighborhood. People To make this happen, to make this dispensary here. There's a video when you walk in that gives you the short of the story and the celebration with Europe priests and priestesses about how they made this happen. And so Marco walks us to the office to introduce us to the woman who has founded this lovely space with her mural on the wall outside of the 7 Eleven. I'm sorry. And her name is Big Kika. Big Kika's presence, she's not just an entrepreneur, she's an activist. She has been in this community for a long time doing amazing things. And now she has bought. All kinds of peace to the community. Ladies and gentlemen, not just
3: Kika Keith. Big Kika. Big, big Kika. I'ma I'm keep my thoughts to myself for baby. Hey. Listen, listen. It's the big for me. It's the big for me. That that tells me all the things I need to know. You should have you should have led with that.
5: So I should have said that when Jill and Asia displayed that they one, and Amber said that they wanted to do a show about cannabis weed, whatever you want to call it, I said I have the person. I don't know her, but I'm gonna get her here. Yeah, and, <laughs> and here she is, and here she is.
4: Round of applause. Yes, come on, y'all.
5: of a blessing to be here.
4: <laughs> thank you for being here. Uh-huh. Wow, you you own the first black owned dispensary. I mean, I would assume it's the first woman. Female-owned, Black woman-owned dispensary.
6: Damn. Yeah, and it is. You went hard to paint, huh? Yeah, very intentionally. And it is the first Black woman-owned. Um, there are some pioneers, Black men, that came uh, before before me. Um, but yes, um, you know, that was a part of the mission, not to be the first, um, but to knock the doors down.
3: Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Yes.
5: So can you talk about this? Can you talk about this story when you walk in the when you walk into your shop and you do see this video? A lot of people weren't there. They don't know the story of your struggle mm-hmm. and how you got into even this world. Can you just break that down for us a little bit?
6: Yeah, you know, I always like to go back to my roots um because it was my parents and their profound love for black people and black history and black culture that they just ingrained in me since birth. Um, And so when I learned about the opportunity for recreational cannabis in Los Angeles, I was like, wait a minute, there's actually laws in the book that will benefit black and brown people who suffered the devastation from the war on drugs. And I was um, born in Pennsylvania, but raised in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, I witnessed that um, in South Central L.A. And I witnessed the fact that I had to take my daughter to 10 different schools because the schools in my community um, were not adequate. And we know where all that stems from. And so when I learned about the opportunity to get a license, um, it really was to be more about more than just myself to help as many of us get through and cross the finish line. I had a um, beverage company prior to entering into um, the cannabis space, Guerrilla Life. And um, I know how hard it was. I had my own manufacturing facility, my own distribution. I had three refrigerated vehicles. We take the Whole Foods and Gelson's and Bristol Farms. And I knew how many years it took me that we would work at one o'clock in the morning to make sure a health inspector didn't come in because... I didn't know shit about running no equipment and not doing it compliantly coming from making it in the kitchen to then being at a facility. And I knew when I heard about this and the opportunity for our people to be a part of the industry, that the way they set it up was designed to fail and that I had to prepare to fight. And I figured I'm fighting for my ancestors. I couldn't be a part of the cotton industry, tobacco, alcohol, you name it up to the tech industry. Um, Everything, they've kept us out of it. And this was the first time that there were actually laws on the book to give us priority with licensing. If you came from inner city communities that were disproportionately affected by cannabis arrests, if you had a cannabis arrest or conviction, if you were low income, those were the qualifiers to be a part of priority licensing. Um, And so I knew it was going to be a fight. I didn't know it was going to be this kind of fight. I went uh, inactive on Whole Foods shelves in 2017, thinking that it would take nine months because they were opening up in in, uh, 2018, and it literally took us three years in a lawsuit against the city of Los Angeles to be able to open our doors.
3: Wow. Even with the legislation that was on the books that was supposed to make it easier for you, because I just want to be clear on that, because I think a lot of times we think, oh, some laws have been passed. A program exists or such and such is already on the books. How come people aren't taking advantage? Because there's still going to be some, you know, some things in our way, some things we have to move around and some tenacity necessary. And I'm sure also a massive financial you know, burden because we talking about lawyers are not free, court costs are not free. And I, obviously the licensing itself is not free because I, you know, and please educate me because I think the last that I heard is that even the license itself is, is very expensive, that it's a, it's a huge financial undertaking. And so, you know, that in a lot of ways that can leave a lot of our entrepreneurs out of the running from the gate. So was there any kind of, anything on the books around, like, financial help or... Been selling weed for years and can't and can't sell weed. Like, yeah.
6: How, yeah. for years. How does that work? A. My dad calls it the Trojan horse. Ooh. They had to get voters to vote it in. And so... The platform was always around. We're going to write the governor of California Hear The same thing in New York, Chicago. We're going to write the wrong of the war on drugs and we're going to prioritize this community. Yet they don't set up education and training. They're not teaching compliance and regulation. There is no access to capital. They have no oversight over these predatory agreements. We call them sharecropper agreements where these white folks were coming into the hood and looking for people that had cannabis convictions and arrests, and and making them a straw man and enticing them. I had a mom one time come to me and say, listen, can you talk to my son? She was like, he works at Foot Locker and he's not understanding him signing away for seven thousand dollars a month. It's pennies on the dollar. I'm saying some dispensaries make that in the first half of their day. Um, And so. It was very obvious, which is why I had to end up really standing in the position that I did, how much of a political game this was. And it was really about once they passed that law every single month, changing little words in the law to make sure that we couldn't get in just to say that they gave us the opportunity. Um, And, you know, that has been the fight. and, And that is, you know, where the real work to this day right new york is just opening they yeah. just opened their first dispensary but if yeah. you look at it um it's a way to eradicate they they they're mad all these years not being able to get the money our brothers and sisters are making on the streets right yeah. so once you legalize it then you're able to enforce it and so that has become the game in la they had 10 million dollars allocated for education and funding um but as soon as they started it before they opened up the social equity program they moved those funds to enforcement Mm. Because those existing marijuana dispensaries, which were in LA 187, only three were black. Um, and then as soon as it was time for the social equity program, all those white folks that got all this money and they lobbying, they go on to the politicians and they're like, wait, 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 don't open more licenses for social equity. First, you need to enforce and shut down the other illegal ones. Where are those at? You know, in our those are people mm-hmm. still in our neighborhoods and um that has become the vicious game that every day we're trying to dismantle um, what what they've set up.
5: More Real Talk after the break.
0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or
3: to have to be aware of not only your own business practices but also keeping abreast of all the changes that are happening at a legal and a in a a political level that sounds like an extreme amount of diligence yeah it seems like a lot to kind of constantly be aware of. You have to be so hyper aware. What are some of the kinds of like...
5: The coalition, right? Like I have a coalition.
3: Or, yeah, what are the things you have in place that are like helping you? What are your supports? What are the things you have that are helping you to stay on top of all of that? Jeez, um, the community. Um, when I,
6: like I said, when I, I realized that early on, we started having uh, classes in coffee shops in the Mert Park. You know, where we were literally, remember Sheree Franklin and a group, we would go down to Denny's on Crenshaw at midnight after the kids were asleep. And we literally printed out hundreds of pages of the regulations. Wow! Mm. And we would read them and reread them. And then we would create cliff notes. Once we made the cliff notes, then we started holding classes. And the next thing you know, 10 turned into 20, turned into 30. And these folks, even the neighborhood councils, um, because we uh, also knew. These tax dollars were supposed to go into our inner city communities. That was the other sales part, right? It wasn't just about giving the licenses. It was that when we generate these billions of dollars, now we're going to help fund these underprivileged programs. So they weren't doing that. And that became the next biggest effort is going into the neighborhood councils. I would go to the block clubs and educate the elders and tell them, like, it's not just us getting licenses. Y'all need to fight for these tax dollars and they became the coalition. I started life development group and we would organize buses to go down to these city council meetings because you gotta give public comment in order to halt this. And we would create little scripts and note cards and we would consistently have 20, 30 people that were rotate in and out. Um, it took me two and a half years to even get to licensing. So we turned our dispensary Cause you had to have a property in order to apply another trip back. $12,000 a month was my rent on an empty building. Right. No business Um, going in and out. So no business going in, but you had to have a property in order to apply. Wow. So, you know, fortunately I had an investor early on that was vested that helped fund me not working and fighting and whether it was getting the buses or whatever, Um, was needed because he knew that that was the only way we were going to win. And so that allowed um, us to educate the community and actually create like grassroots lobbyists.
2: Mm.
0: Um, And
6: so I call our dispensary Gorilla Rx the house that people built um, because we would not be here if it weren't for the fact that those people heard what I was saying, took it on and became a part of the force that made sure that not just myself, but Hundreds of others were able to open their doors.
4: So level-headed. Yes. So level-headed. And and the the completion, going to the completion. We we get a lot of big ideas and we go, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. But then you realize how hard it is. And that the first, you know, seven people turned into three. And then those three turned into one. And then this all over, you're starting all over again. And then the legalese of it all. Like, yeah. oh, if there's anything I hate to do. They sit in front of any kind Ooh, of contract. Now you're talking legislation. Oh my God! Wow. Yeah. And and then the nuance is the changing
6: of of, of words oh. would change the entire law. Come on. I, I I'd say it's like the King James version of the Bible, right? Like they deliberately mix up words to complicate it for us. And look, ninety five percent of these license holders across the nation are white men. Yeah. Um, and so I I don't say Not that in, in any particular yeah. way other than the truth of the matter you
4: say it as it is because it, yeah. it is
6: it is what it is sorry
4: come but, on yeah. now they
6: have lobbyists they hire attorneys and advisors that do this part you you said it early i was like i did not come in i'm a i am I am a serial entrepreneur i love business I didn't come here to be a politician or do policies or lobbying mm-hmm. and how much of time it took out of where I should have been using to build my business. Yeah.
3: But it's it's the weird kind of necessary tax that you have to pay as a black entrepreneur where you just got to you got to play all these roles and in the first. music. Yeah, we're in the music business or in any other business. It's the same thing. It's like yeah. you you sign up to sing songs, you end up doing nine thousand other jobs, it's and, just in order just to kind of stay competitive and and or to stay alive. Not even just competitive, but just to stay present. I think it's just like it speaks to what it is. But can I just say this? It needed, and everybody knows I'm not I'm not unique in this thought, but it it took a black woman to jump in there. I'm sorry, it's just a fact. This this is what really in the end of the day what people miss is the true kind of core of what feminism really is all about and how black women invented it, because the idea around the empowerment of community based on need and vulnerability is an understanding that at the core that Black women understand to the bone marrow. This is how we're just wired. We're wired to understand the needs of many. We are wired to understand that our success really doesn't mean anything if everyone else around us is not able to maintain and sustain in the same ways. We're understanding this. So it's like the idea of being a Black woman entrepreneur has to exist in this space. So I wanted everybody to be really, really careful to listen Mm -hmm. to what Kika is saying, Mm -hmm. because right now we have a lot of misunderstanding around black excellence and generational wealth and a lot of LLC talk. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure that we listen to what she's saying. You cannot have, you cannot be entrepreneurial or business minded if you're not community minded. Mm -hmm. If you are not mixing those two things together, if one thing does not inform the other, then you're not making any kind of systemic change. You are just simply making dollars for yourself. And you simply making dollars for yourself has nothing to do with the encouragement, the empowerment of the community that's going to come behind you. She said specifically that this was about not being the first, but opening up the doors for Mm -hmm. other people. That is a key thing. Simply being the first doesn't mean that you have done opened up a door. Being the first is just being the first. You can be the first, you know, black capitalist billionaire who exploits people. Do you want to be that? No, you don't. And understand that the
5: attitude, mm. this energy and this glow that you guys feel from Kika is funneled through everybody around her and that whole uh, dispensary. All those employees, when you walk in there, it is a sense that they are empowered. They are happy. They are sister. Welcome to the store. You look beautiful. What is that? It's just it's in. And, and that's to be said, Kika, I'm wondering when you started at the Denny's how this has spread now, right? Because I, I know that, shout out to Virgil, who California Cannabis has about three locations, Black owner, but can you talk about some of the things that have come with this and that have been built out of this coalition?
6: Yeah, you know, from like development, we spawned Social Equity Owners and Workers Association. Um, and I understood and saw um, from person after person that just came in with ridiculous predatory contracts Um, And the fight that we had to do with the city and with the state um, that we needed to unionize and really be a collective force. Um, And so that's where the lawsuit spawned from, because the city of L.A., after $300,000 in debt of holding this property, they opened up the licensing process finally for social equity about two years later. It was supposed to be a first come, first serve. So the fastest person to upload your application online, the first 100. And they kind of like a, you know, some tickets, um, ticket master, some sneakers or something. That's crazy. Um, that's crazy. I'm sorry. That's just crazy. crazy. Now, oh. but just going back to them little things, they know in the hood for the people who qualify, we have the slowest Internet services. Right. So all of those things they knew we were going down and telling them like these White folks are using bots in order to make sure that their people get in early and you know how God will work. I happen to be in a room with the person that got in 10 minutes early before the start time. And as God will work it, I had organized about 30 people were in a room that we were all looking at the clock and going to do our application at the same time. And we have folks screen record their application. So we actually had the video recording And when the person <laughs> so got smart. in 10 minutes early. So, so when it came out that we looked at the list and out of the hundred, maybe 19 were black, there was about 30 Armenians on there. We did not have no representation. I was like, oh, no. And so that's where um, the Social Equity Owners and Workers Association really formed um, as we organized to file a lawsuit against the city of Los Angeles. And, you know, we did like uh, Obama beginning campaigns where he's in one in five dollar donations to hire a black attorney um, that represented us. And we filed that lawsuit against the city of L.A. They settled um, and we got 100 additional retail licenses for equity. And then that's how I was able to open my doors and 99 others. Um, and it has been that type of work from taking that on the city council and stomping on them. And I use some tactics that I've, my, my parents taught me when I was young, just reading about our history. Like people said we couldn't do it. And we were getting out with picket signs and organizing folks around the clock um and, and we wouldn't stop was the key um that it, even if it were 5 or 10 of us um uh, we wouldn't stop we would be at every meeting and press and press um and we've seen um that that's that's the only way um that it will work and yeah we've been pushing that way ever since we hear so often that that is fantastic and it, it just it just shows
4: everyone that that's listening within listening ears, what it really takes. And when I say it, I'm talking about any level of, of justice that you're looking for in, in this particular place. We're talking about, you know, people say, oh, the marches doesn't they don't work and the, the picketing doesn't work. Well, it it we're talking about longevity. Mm. It is it is that um, refusing to to give up spirit. You know, it's that. I think what's been working in America is that we get exhausted after a while.
6: Yes. Mm-hmm. They count mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you found another ninety nine business owners or biz- people that wanted to start businesses.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Just just tell them the truth here. Sometimes even with an opportunity, you have people that won't show up for it. How did you find the, the people that were like, yes, I want to open a business? Yes, here's my
6: business plan. Um, how did you find those people? Really, that real grassroots energy. Like, for real, we were at coffee shops and workforce development centers and the hood. Um, and it would start with five people. And then they would tell their other friends. Um, and it w- was just, for real, word of mouth about people who really wanted it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, everybody wanted this opportunity. I remember early on um, they would have ads on Facebook that would have yachts and, you know, uh, Ferraris and be like, don't you want to be in the cannabis industry? Come sign up for the social equity program. Mm. Um, and so you you had those folks, which were the biggest portion. Right. So now when I say that 100, maybe a good 20 of them were our folks. Right. Um, Because we just couldn't control that. But you had so many more that were going for that, you know, and still go for it to this day as these licenses continue that are down to get that $10,000 a month and give away that generational wealth, because that is in the licenses. It is not in selling. It is not in your monthly, you know, going back to the long haul. You really everything we do as a people better be for our children's children. It better be. You know, I mean, we're not going to ever see or feel it in our lifetime if we don't make those moves collectively. And so those were the folks, Jill, that were harder to gather, the ones that weren't willing to compromise, Um, the ones that were willing to stand and do the hard work and be relentless about it. And those numbers were much smaller. But those small numbers, once again, we never had hundreds of people protesting you know, I mean, it was the consistency of having 20 or 30 people always showing mm-hmm. up. And a lot mm-hmm. of the times it was the same 15 and we rotated that other 15 or 20 for the folks that would only show up once or twice.
5: Yeah, I was um, jealous that I moved here after that. I was seriously yeah. jealous. I was like, I wanted to be a part of the progress. I, I, Yeah.
3: I mean, I say this all the time when we talking about like school stuff. I'd be like, oh, parents don't involve. I'm like, y'all, come on now. Y'all know the PTA is five parents. You know it's five, it's the same five, it's the same five till they rotate to the new five, right? (laughs) And it's like and, and, and I think a lot of that also has to do with, you know, um, not to make excuses or anything like that. I do think that black folk are tired and they are, you know, and they don't always have the 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 time, the money, the energy, the education. And, and that's one thing that just really just sticks out for me. That's like sticking with my heart is the education piece, because I think that's what motivates people. People feel motivated when they have understood the full grasp of what they're looking for looking at and they can actually see themselves as a part of it it's like mm-hmm. if if they don't understand it then it's just it just always ends up being a pipe dream you know like it's just a thing that exists out there that people say you can have but then when you get there you're like no i don't actually see myself there because and people it, are
5: counting on you feeling that way too so they can be the 10 right, right. or 1
3: isolated yeah isolated mm-hmm. from the reality of things right mm-hmm. And this is one one thing I, I think that is really valuable about what you're saying, or at least what I'm getting from what you're saying, which is inspirational for me, is that your parents instilled a sense of fighting you by you understanding, knowing your history, your the history of your family and the history of your culture. And that's why that's super important because you can never know what your child's life or what the children in your community's life is going to be like in the future. You don't know what business they're going to get into. But what you do know is that the value of what you're teaching them, the values that you share with them, they're going to take into those different industries. I'm sure your parents ain't, your parents ain't no idea you're going to be selling cannabis. They, but <laughs> But the way that you're able to take what, they instilled in you and apply that out into the world can only be making them proud can only be making them look at you in amazement and and and, and inspiration because this is what our children do when they know who they are And we had this conversation Ooh, wait slow down slow uh-uh. hold Sorry. on <laughs> say that again this is what you can accomplish when you know who you are. When your children know who they are, they can go out into the world and take that into any room because they will not believe the lie that somebody tells them when they get there. They're right. like, oh, you, you lying because that ain't who I am. See, uh, you play we with just me. had this conversation before we
4: started recording. We're looking at the background. Um, 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 we can see this, so we'll, we'll kind of explain it to you. There's a fantastic hot pink wall um, behind uh, Big Kika, and there are her her family members. Everybody looks like beautiful and strong. Yeah. So this is
5: her shop, y'all. This is how you feel that feeling. Uh, you get overwhelmed when you walk in. I'm literally. I wish I could. I want y'all to just come with me because it, it's a dispensary. I'm not supposed to get um,
3: overwhelmed by yes. black emotion. You know what oh, I'm saying? Oh, but you
5: are. Oh, but
3: you so, are. Beginning of our conversation today, I was telling you, I was reading a collection of essays by Zora Neale Hurston. And in the introduction, it talks about the Black aesthetic. And that's what is so important is to get into understanding our state of being. Our state of being is what we take with us everywhere that we go. And so, yes, it is important for you to walk into a dispensary and feel that. But Mm. I didn't know. How how does she know? The black aesthetic (laughs) that's important, that that becomes the standard to which you enjoy and enter into the world. That could be a standard? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Look at all of our spaces. Look at all
4: of our spaces. We have our ancestors on the wall. You know we're we're like minded mm-hmm. people in that way. And and I know mm-hmm. for certain when there is a legacy involved. Legacy, yes. But when you also like they just said when you know who you are, it matters that much more. It matters yeah. that your what you're doing and how you're presenting, and it matters that much more to you. So you fight for it a little harder. Yeah, if not, hold on, I'm next to a
3: table. Hard. My my not next to my wall. I'm next to my bedside table. So Oh, there they go. There they go. Yeah, there they <laughs> go. We're
5: gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back.
3: Have you ever brought
0: your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort.
1: L-A-S-I-K
5: can you please talk about the insides of your store and not just the yeah. aesthetic but also i told the girls i was like i'm collecting pins thanks to your store of nina simone <laughs> grace jones and minnie um, Ripperton. and you also have a, a, a chest in there that's just it just highlights brown and black cannabis owning items i just can you talk about what once you got in how
6: you was going to make it look like Yeah, that's so funny that y'all are talking about my grandparents because Nana, my grandmother behind me um, in her house, she used to keep. The Christmas tree up to at least June, as long as it wasn't getting bitter, we would have to keep on filling up the water. And uh, she would uh, literally, uh, even in the daytime, have these colorful lights on her tree. And then after June, she would have us take a little fake plant and put the Christmas tree lights around it and people would come into her house um our friends they'd be like i don't know what it is your grandmother's house i just feel the love i don't know what the feeling is so i was very deliberate when you go in with these color choices um and the color blocking our bright colors like her christmas tree lights Uh, We even have the crafted on Crenshaw with the with the neon lights behind it um, to really accentuate this brightness, the yellow walls. So I also speaking about the black aesthetic and black women had a black woman designer design the space, um, Jocelyn Joy. um, And so. All of those things were very intentional. Um, The dispensary is on Crenshaw Boulevard and it is right at the bottom of Baldwin Hills, Windsor Hills, which is the largest um, black uh, community as far as income and wealth in the United States. But very rarely do those folks come down the hill to Crenshaw. Oh, I tell them all about it when I go up there though. (laughs) Even that in the design and the intent um, so I'm so glad you feel that when I was sitting with Jocelyn day after day, I was like, but it has to feel so that the grandmoms and aunties, up the hill will come down here. Um, and so that was always the intent for our people and the intergenerational mix that we would really purpose from um, having my product in Whole Foods and health food stores. And that just being the name is gorilla Rx Wellness Co., Right. Um, And it is really based. My parents, uh, we were vegetarians in the 70s, of course, um, when when it wasn't popular. Um, And so that's just my whole being and what I wanted to give to the community. So even in the design, a part of that was I wanted to feel like you're going into a Whole Foods or GNC vitamin section. Right. And so unlike Stores that are typical, like Apple stores, they kind of set up dispensaries nowadays. Are really sterile, Mm -hmm. white, and glass boxes. We put most of our inventory is on the floor, and it's stocked like a grocery store. Um, So when you're walking in, in, you don't feel that inhibition about asking. You're met at the door by a product specialist. You have your own personal shopper that walks you through the whole store. We have a bud tender. Oh yeah, yo, sorry, a bud tender. We have the largest selection (laughs) of black owned brands and women owned brands in the state of California. Um, We're very deliberate. I remember one time in Whole Foods, we became really friends with the receiver, brought him a Gorilla Life hoodie and he moved naked juices out of the section and put our Gorilla Life drinks on that prime shelf space. Mm. And it was at that point that I understood, A, that you could do that. But be the even thought process of where products are stored and housed. So you have these stores that would be like, oh, yeah, well, we carry black brands, but they're over in the corner. Mm-hmm. We deliberately put the whole U-bar in the front to be black owned brands where it's the first thing you see. They don't have to pay for no shelving space and do nothing extra. Uh, we move brands to put them in the place. Um, And that has been our commitment. Um, Like you were saying, we highlight Reparations Book Club. It's a Black woman-owned book club in the community. Um, Instead of just having all cannabis things, we got the books on the shelves as a part of the display. So people ask where you can buy it and go down the street. Um, We did the Black book to highlight the Black businesses, Swift Cafe on the Black, another Black woman-owned cafe. So when people come, we become like a destination point. We're close to LAX when you come in, don't just come to my business and then go over to Hollywood, go down the street and get you some lunch, yeah. check out Leimert park while you're there. And so hot and cool. So folks, yeah, yeah, hot and cool. Come on. That yeah. it was our intent um, and the model very intentionally, not just a design to attract people and have something very high end in our community. Um, but to put that stake in the ground, because they just opened two train stations, we know what happens in our, across the country. Oh, we just, so really oh, the clear, gentrifying
5: game is happening around. here, yeah. oh, honey, uh, we want to
6: regentrify and show Black folks how we do it, and have them come.
5: Well, that's a from show. The, regentrify. Come,
6: yeah. come on, come and open up stores on the block and get the properties in our community and and create that energy and be a model for how we should be existing in this day and age and not talking
4: about it. I remember back in the damn day when people would talk about weed, they would just be like, oh, that's for them stoners. You know, that's he's a that's a pothead, you know. They're not gonna they're not gonna achieve anything in life. You know mm. <laughs> uh-uh. They're not gonna <laughs> ever achieve anything in life. And I, I recall the first time that I had marijuana And all I remember doing was laughing. I (laughs) laughed so much that I I laughed till I had to take a nap. It was wonderful. Laughed till tears, just, just laughed. And I don't, you know, I can't really remember like what else was making me laugh like that or allowing me to be so free that I just couldn't help but giggle all over. What Mm. was that moment when you knew that marijuana was beneficial, not only for you, but for the people?
6: Oof. Uh, I was blessed once again. My dad um, studied Rastafarian principles. Of course he did. Um, <laughs> I love your dad. <laughs> so it was in my household growing up. And it was always such a very spiritual and intellectual connection when I would see them smoking, right? They would be at the round tables, yes. like some war rooms in the house. And my dad would have groups of people in there having all kinds of conversations and teachings. And that was, you know, like in the Native community, um, that peace pipe. But it was something that just generated for me what I witnessed, um, just such greatness uh, and joy. And then they were sitting around laughing and talking after that. And so my relationship, my mom calls it holy, mm. um, my my relationship with it. And I have three children their relationship with it um, is, you know, very spiritual and um, like you're saying, Jill, a sense of joy. And so I I never had those stigmas. And that has been a part of my quest is to fight those because I know how we use it, um, you know, not just uh, smoking it, but for the topical purposes. I know when I give it to folks that, you know, I've been on chemotherapy and talking about My mom doesn't have an appetite. She can't eat. You know, I know for folks that are suffering from PTSD and depression and anxiety that come in the store just like mad. But as soon as they get that bag in their hand, you can feel that weight um, lift off of them. Um, And so I've always seen it as very transformative. And I'm always pretty, I guess, raised pretty counterculture. I've never fell into those stigmas um, ever in life about weed. Maybe trying to say can
4: <laughs> That's a word. It's about so many things that when you don't have the stigma. Yeah, the biases and the opinions don't affect you because you
3: don't have it don't have it but that's political too and and that says a lot about out of the box parenting also because I think a lot of times we talk about parenting and we've talked about it on this show all of us have experienced this from a lot of places is that people will, you got to parent this certain kind of way and it's like look at what happens to your young people when you don't instill shame around certain things, when you're not afraid to allow them to understand and see what it takes to do, what it is you're asking them to do. You cannot raise revolutionaries if you're not revolutionary in your thinking and in your doing. You have to say, you have to do, so that then they will say and do and it's second nature. I just, my God, today. The first time I smoked weed with my grandmother and my father, other,
5: it's mm. life-changing that that moment that <laughs> breakdown of a wall i'm yeah. just saying it's 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 like it's life-changing yeah okay well i was also going to say too don't forget there was a documentary and it's funny because me and virgil have debated over this documentary the grass is greener that fat five freddie did and it's funny that we put stigmas on things because at the end of the day Asia, that stigma just comes from one of your favorite phrases white supremacy because based on based on the history of marijuana and it being you know kind of associated with black and brown people that's all of a sudden it's associated with us so it's bad and so we take on that because whatever the white man say, say is the law and so now we telling our, our kids and stuff that's bad that's this that's that but that's crazy right when mm-hmm. you think about it it's it always brought joy but because it brought joy initially to brown and black people first that's a problem
4: Look, I came home that night after after having them trees with my girlfriend. I came home that night, my mother said, she caught me in the living room. She said, "Um, now mind you, I'm in college at this time." And she's like, "Uh, you been smoking that reefer?" And I was like, "Yeah."
2: Yeah. <laughs> Come, away. Yeah. Come on, reefer I was just
4: giddy. You been smoking that reefer?" I said, "Yeah." She said, "Uh, I'm just so disappointed. Do you understand what this is? It's a gateway drug. It opens the door for other drugs. You know the, the commercials, all the things, that say the same things. On, yeah. She said that propaganda. And I was like, Mom, I'm. I, let's just say I'm. I was 20 at the time. I said, Mom, have I been to jail? She was <laughs> like, No. I was like, uh, You know, do I do I have um, you know, do I have a lot of kids running around? She was like, No. That wouldn't be so bad. I said, but it would right now because I don't have the money. But, you know, for, I said, well, um, you know, well, am I in, in trouble in any way? And, and Am I in school? She was like, yeah. I was like, am I doing well in school? She was like, yeah. I was like, you might want to leave me alone about this one. Yeah. I am. not. I'm not harming anyone at all. hmm and I felt like it was such a benefit because I had been really stressed out working Man. two jobs, going to school and this one night, my girlfriend had her, as my mother would say, a doobie.
5: And you
0: just melted <laughs> in that doobie, SC. Like, mm, that's doobie. what I needed.
3: And I doobied. And I doobied. <laughs> doobied. My,
2: my doobied first doobied.
3: time ever being uh, experiencing cannabis, wasn't smoking it. My mother made some brownies <sighs> and yeah, we was cooking Thanksgiving dinner that's next level that's so good <laughs> that's my mom next level these, yeah my mom made these brownies and we was we was cooking Thanksgiving dinner it was one of the first times we had like a really quiet Thanksgiving it was just me and her at the time my sister oh, I thought was, you
2: meant
3: yeah. no 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 my sister was um, uh, boyfriend fiance energy mm-hmm. she was mm-hmm. gone so it was just me and Big Sue Big geek, Big Sue, y'all got you. Got to get to know Big Sue. You got to watch some. Of the, you got to listen to some of these old episodes. <laughs> but uh, uh, I was like, uh, you know, so we she made these brownies, child. We turned on. She turned on the music, and all I remember was how good the music sounded. Mm. Mm. And um, you know, and we cooked that whole meal, and it was just like. Uh, It was just such a cool experience for me because my mom I grew up in a household, too, with both parents who smoked, but we just never saw it. It's so funny that they talk about things corrupting kids and both my parents smoked. I had never seen them smoke before. I knew they did, but it just wasn't like a thing I ever saw, really. But it's just funny that. It wasn't even something that I had went to do on my own. But, you know, I'm glad to see the stigma kind of getting away and us getting more education about it. I know we're still in many of the states in in, in United States, still on the fence around legalities and with, what state is legal here and not legal or what's the vibes here. And I do know that young people are smoking a lot earlier. And so we're trying to get our young people to navigate what that means for them legally so that they don't get caught in between the gap. You know, one of the conversations that I'm having with my young folks is helping them to understand the state they live in.
2: Hmm. You know, having them
3: understand a lot of these that's, that's why the diligence is important that was even was decriminalized began,
5: was not decriminalized was decriminalized was not
3: decriminalized mm-hmm. so I think it's important that we stay diligent no matter what we're doing knowing that yes this work is being done but there's so much more work to do so we have to keep our, our young people informed that they have all the proper education specifically around legally because we don't want them to get so relaxed that they get out there and get caught out there and we have to deal with it different type of legal situation.
4: I will go with that for the whole gamut (laughs) for all the things when we're talking about sex, give them all the information, you know, (laughs) we're talking about drugs or I I don't even like to call weed a drug. I just think that's unfair.
6: I don't know. Friends help me out with that one. Is weed a drug?
5: I'm looking at Kika.
6: Yeah. I I got a, a new way of thinking for youth prevention and education on cannabis Uh, We need to be teaching them about the business, Um, because if you start looking at it more about the business opportunities, you start to lose the even time or the necessity for recreationally sitting around and using your time getting high. Um, And when I say the business, it's just not the licenses, the ancillary side is so transferable, whether you're an electrician, whether you're a carpenter, whether you're in marketing, whether you're an accountant, lawyer, if you go into the niche of cannabis for any of those things. You know how many facilities have to be built right now that you need to know the right lighting for cultivation. If you just learn that one thing, you can take that. You know how many people are looking for skilled people in that area, even in the workforce. Cannabis is the fastest growing workforce across the country. More Mm. than nurses, more than EMT, more than electricians. Um, The fastest growing industry, right? And so I would say to those young people early on, start Start investing your time reading and getting a part of and figuring out how you're about to gain this damn system and be a part of the industry. Because I promise you, the reason why I fight, fight so hard is because I know that I'm a part of being what's going to be in the history books and all realness of this. This is a brand new industry. Yeah. And the mayor of London come down and visit our dispensary, And he did a what? trip. Yeah, about uh, three or four months ago. And he visited about five licensed facilities across the country. They selected ours in Los Angeles as the only dispensary that he visited to be able to have an understanding of what this would look like to legalize right. um, in London. Because people so don't think have... about global
5: legalization and where we what? are in the sense of global Ooh, legalization.
6: Yes. And the brand newness of this industry, y'all. So when we learn these regulations or we understand and we start just participating, listen, you don't even got to do a lot of stuff, but just start being engaged because you'll hear the opportunities of where you can be business planning. You'll hear the opportunities where you can um, It's crazy, y'all. That's the reason why I fight so hard. That's the reason why I stay in this, because I do know what will happen 20 or 50 years from now in this moment in time. And so for all the black people, specifically black people, you know, great for everybody, but Black people. No, we, we listen. Yeah. Most
3: Are we listen. We got
6: the. We, we've been the most incarcerated. We've been the most disproportionately arrested. We've been the most to lose our lives. We had the highest number of children in foster care because of the war on drugs. It is our obligation. Mm. To be involved, it is our obligation to spread the word that these tax dollars, these licenses and our skill set be used and co-opted and work together. And you got to have a team. I'm a year and four months in. I got 47 employees, right? Ninety five percent come from my community. Um, And so the opportunities that are there, um, we're working. Actually, we just acquired the building next door to us open up a mock training facility yes, I for retail to talk. <laughs> yeah guerrilla university uh likening Yay! it to mcdonald's university and this is also a for formerly incarcerated right is that what i read oh like, yeah 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 yes like creating that pathway look we know the same these laws are new and that's how they're based in the whole industry right yeah so cultivation you need a skill set Right to not a culture. Yeah, yeah. Everything else our learned thing, and it's the rules and regulations. Um, mm. And so I just continue to encourage all of us that wouldn't think twice about it, just to understand how we can work cooperatively, and it will take a collective unit of us to do it because it is expensive to get in. Um, but that's you know that's an easy battle um, if we work together, and so that that's really critical, y'all.
7: More conversation
5: after the break.
0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic because we came to play bring the magic at walt disney world resort
1: l-a-s-i-k lasik.com
7: have you been thinking about lasik but not sure if you're a candidate just go to lasik.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz in just a few minutes you'll know if lasik is likely right for you and if it is we'll connect you with experienced lasik doctors in your area Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start.
1: L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This
5: Can you at least give us like three either organizations or uh pages that we should be following to be a part of the solutions, to be a part of the cult, like all all the things?
6: Yes. Uh cannabis.lacity.org. Mm-hmm. Um that's the city of Los Angeles cannabis department. Um, cannabis.lacity.org. Um, and when you click around and you go into the regulations. There's a social equity report that was written. Um, Find that social equity report and read it. And it tells, it does a great job of concisely saying why we're here, the methodology of why social equity should be created based on these disproportionate arrests. And when I say that, break it down. L.A. is 8 percent black folks, but we represented 40 percent of the arrests. Right. So when I want to say disproportionate, yeah. um, but then it also tells you all of the components, it tells you the cost of starting up these businesses. Mm-hmm. It tells you the pieces that are necessary in every community if we want to start or actually press our city folks to have these sort of laws and regulations in place. To me, it's like the Bible of how it should have been executed. And L.A. did the complete opposite of everything that was in that $300,000 report. But to me, that's a great way, a simple way for us to just start grasping yeah. what it
3: is. Yeah.
6: If L.A. did it wrong, I'm, I'm. it sounds
5: unhopeful for the other states who are so yeah. far behind. No, But I
3: think what she's saying is that if you look at what that framework is, it's a good uh, place to start as mm-hmm. you advocate in your particular city or state. OK, OK. That even and, though they then- didn't actually do it, the plan yes. is good. This, okay. The plan yeah. oh, is
4: good. And okay. obviously every state has different laws and the, mm-hmm. all of those things have to yes. be considered. Uh, definitely shout out to all the, the people that are in school currently or working in agriculture. That's yeah. that's a big one.
5: Yeah, and that's what you're talking about, skill set. Yeah. 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 yeah, and shout out to I just want to shout out to Tara Martin, one of the sisters that was in the the fight to help lobby for Jersey and other states to uh, become recreational. Because we in there, y'all. When we know, when we see the sisters, we got to say their name, like because yes. nobody else, 100%. nobody else
6: will. One
2: hundred percent.
6: Now yeah. we do it and recognize too that it will open up federally sooner than later, um, and it doesn't take a lot of us. But there's a few of us in each one of these places when it when we're allowed to have interstate commerce. Our ability to connect and work together um, is how we create this ecosystem of the supply chain within amongst ourselves. And that's why we continue to educate. Um, Also, LifeDevelopmentGroup.org is our website. And we just I just like to be a resource. Y'all come through to the dispensary, tap in anything that I can share once again and be in the first it was to be able to have the blueprint to then say, okay, y'all, this is how I did it. I
5: know. We just want to continue to support you beyond just coming to the store too. So, and that's a lot of, with a lot, all of our Black businesses, like, yeah, we support by coming to the store, but if there's other ways to support, oh, yeah. we need to know. Yeah. I love the
3: fact that we that that you circle back to business, you circle back to community, you circle back to these things and move away from the individual and remind us of what's necessary for us to do moving forward. I just really admire you in every way. I didn't know you prior to this interview, and I feel blessed and grateful and honored to have gotten to hear what you had to say today. Truthfully, it's such a good reminder It's a good reminder because I think in this kind of capitalist society, we can really get really down about the possibility of what it looks like to be successful. What does it look like? to um be in business what does it look like to grow community is it possible to do both to get yourself a little bag but at the same time Woo! open up girl that you said a mouthful and i needed to hear this from you today because Ooh, this dude. has given me a different kind of you know you know battery in my back around what it can look like and i just encourage everybody to continue to use your imagination because i think what happens is that <sighs> That imagination gets stifled. Mm-hmm. You can't see that a thing is possible. You just you, you convince yourself it's just not going to happen. So I just am grateful for you today. I really mm-hmm. am. I'm grateful mm-hmm. for you. Too. I'm grateful for your ancestors. I speak their names without knowing them, and I just thankful Ooh. for them too. You better say these words, yeah. Aja. They they did a thing, <laughs> child. They did a thing. <laughs> they 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 did, Nana them.
6: did a thing, okay? Come, come on. <laughs> Good, thanks. And and you just touched on something that I believe is the core of how I move. And what I've seen is this is the fourth business that I've started. Um, but this is the one where it was always about after Sweet Strings um, and losing my, my music academy. It was always about, let me go make this money and then I can go give back. And I had to take a different approach um, because it wouldn't work with just me being here standing alone is that let me give back while I'm building. And every time I stay centered on that, the universe opens just miraculous doors. um, That is not anything about my work. Um, And I would say and challenge us all to be able to figure that out and to challenge ourselves to not wait um, for the give back but figure out for the work that we do, how it can align. Like I said, I had to write the cliff notes for myself. So then why am I not sharing the cliff notes at the same, at the same time that I'm learning it? What we often do is wait, wait till we until accomplish we it. And yeah. i give you a tidbit and worried about them. Someone else that I'm giving that to compete and knock me out. Um, but it really is important. And I think the other side of that is my mission has always been find this for-profit that funds my nonprofit. And I came to cannabis because I intend on opening up Sweet Strings again in our music academy um, for the kids. And so that is really what motivates me when I want to sit down and and get tired. Um, It's that this has to work um, because we have to be able to reinvest and fund those things that really make a difference for our children.
3: Our hearts are full. proud of my neighborhood. Man. If you might do me the honors of allowing me to read the mission. Oh, yes, Kajian! Let's. All right, this is the mission for Guerrilla RX Wellness, correct? Yes, right. We are the physical manifestation of Black feminine resilience, power, and creativity. We are the advocates for those fundamentally oppressed by America's unjust criminal justice system. We are the future legacy of healers, hustlers, and history makers, diligently honoring the strong women who came before us, We are the promise of a brighter, more equitable future in South Central L.A. And might I add myself, the world. Y'all take care.
6: (laughs) Blessings, y'all. Blessings.
4: (laughs) I mean, that's all I got. That's really it. Our hearts are full. I know, Jill. We've been educated in so many ways. Please remember um, to rewind this and play it back and slow down and take the cliff notes. (gasps) Take the cliff notes. None of us here at J.L know everything, but we're learning as we grow. And it is a pleasure to share anything that we're we're learning with you. Thank you so much, y'all, for listening. Peace.
0: How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time.
2: time.
6: Hello, listeners. It's Amber, your fearless producer here. We have been so excited to get this episode to you. Black women really do get us higher. To learn more about Gorilla RX and all the amazing things that they are doing in the community and all the incredible products they provide, check out their website, GorillaRXWellness.com. The site is literally as beautiful as the store that Laia described. Kika also
7: left us with some incredible resources in this episode. I'll drop links to those sites in the show notes. And if you want to learn more about cannabis and spirituality, I'll
6: leave a link that explains how Rastafarians use the herb for spiritual connection.
2: yeah. 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 yeah.
4: Hi, if you have comments on something we said in this episode, call 866-HEY-JILL. If you want to add to this conversation, that's 866-439-5455. Don't forget to tell us your name and the episode you're referring to. You might just hear your message on a future episode.
7: Thank you for listening to Jill Scott Presents J.L. The Podcast. Yes,
5: Karima. I'm sorry. You distracted my whole show, mommy, when you walked by. You distracted the
3: whole show. Laia's mama just walked abs. by, and her abs were giving what needed to be gave. Yes, Karima. Yes, <laughs> yes, Karima. yes, Yes! on uh, I'm sorry, y'all. For those who are listening, Laia's mom is that work. She's amazing. We want to <laughs> give it up to Big Kareema. She came through there and showed us her ab work, and it was Fantastic. Fantastic. J.L.
4: is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day?